0: So glad that you guys are here. Um, looking forward to today, looking forward to tonight. Um, we're in a series now. We've called them Carols. Um, I actually just took the idea. Um, I talked to Pastor Justin Blewer, and he said that they weren't doing, we weren't doing a full community-wide pastor swap like we do every year, but they were doing that. I thought, well, I'll just jump off of that and, and, and take the graphic and we'll do this. But before this December, I really, maybe like some of you, I really hadn't spent much time thinking about the the Christmas carols that we sing. I enjoy them. Uh, I have some of my favorites that I really love. And, you know, you think about the words and you enjoy the melodies and all that. But I didn't realize, in looking at all of them, preparing for um, this series, is how much in common they all have in how they're trying to tell the story of the birth of, of Christ. Now, just to to bring us all on the same page, in in case we're coming from different places, most of us know the circumstances of the birth of Christ. Mary, she is a a virgin. She becomes pregnant by the Spirit of God. An angel comes, Gabriel says, you're going to be pregnant. uh, The Holy Spirit is going to cause you to conceive a son. And you're going to name his name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. And Mary and her fiancé, or we call him her her fiancé, Joseph, he was betrothed. At that time, what that meant basically is they were married. It just hadn't had the ceremony and the final deal done yet. But they end up traveling up to Bethlehem in order to obey tax laws, the rules of the day. The law said you have to go to your, your ancestor's hometown. And then while she is there she gives birth. Now, there are actually two versions of this. I don't know if you know this. There are two versions that could have happened. Version number one is this, that she was at the end of her pregnancy. She's nine months. She's fully full-on pregnant, ready to give birth. She got to town. There is no place for her in the local inn where travelers could stay. And so she gave birth in a place where the animals were, and she laid her son, Jesus, in a manger there. That's one version of the story. A second version could go like this, that she's pregnant, but how far along, we don't know. It doesn't say in the text when you look at it, you look at the text, it doesn't say. But while they're there, while they're at, in Bethlehem, they had been staying at uh, a relative's house because she's close to the due date and she doesn't want to travel more. And the, the term in is actually also a term that is used for a guest room. Um, it's used later, actually, the upper room where Jesus met with his disciples, where, where they had the last supper. That's the same term. And so it could be that, that that house, that house, that room, it was all filled with capacity because of the census. And so what they did is they put Jesus in the portable feed trough. And that's where he stayed, sort of protect him instead of being on the floor where everybody else was. Now, the scripture allows for both of these understandings. But the point is basically this. Mary, a virgin. She gave birth to the Son of God in the most humble of surroundings and circumstances. And then from this point on within the Christmas story, everything is a reaction to Jesus' birth. Everything, every, everyone, everything is reacting to, to what just happened. And when you listen to the Christmas carols, this is where all of them, they kind of, in, in a sense, they slow down and they focus on this very point. And in many of the carols, one of the things that I love is that you can sort of feel some of the tension. That's why a lot of the carols, they're, they're, um, they're, they're written with a minor key often, but you can see them striving to give you a picture, a picture in your mind, not just of, of what happened when Jesus was born, but to show us why does it matter? Why should it tug on your, your heart? And, and in many of the carols that we sing today, they, they are old, They're 200 plus years old. And they tell us not only what God was doing, but they're trying to show us who God is in the process. That's really what I want us to do today. I want us to see who God is in the process of understanding the Christmas story. Because we sing of things, we sing of, of justice and peace and guilty sinners and available redemption. And the songs tell about the awe that the the shepherds must have felt, the emotions of joy and and rest and hope now that um, the one who has come to redeem Israel, he's been born. The one who has come to save the world has been born. And and all these things um, are are, are culminating. And the carol that I want to look at today is, is an old one, God rest ye merry gentlemen. You're familiar with that one, Probably. Uh, the carol was written probably in about the 1500s in Latin. And, uh, the first English copy we have is actually from 1650. Words are a little bit different. Uh, but some of the older carols use language that we don't understand, and this is actually one of them. Um, we, we sing this, um, God Rest You Mary Gentlemen. In the 1500s, the historic meaning of this phrase, God Rest You Mary, actually meant, God grant you peace and happiness. I always thought that this song had to do with merry gentlemen. That there are these gentlemen who are very merry and they needed rest. But it has nothing to do with the gentlemen being merry or needing rest. The word rest had had to do with um, the rest rest meant keep or grant. So the the idea, the, the first verse is basically saying, May God grant you peace and happiness. Stop there. Gentlemen, don't let anything discourage you. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us from all of Satan's power when we were going astray. And then the tidings of comfort and joy is, is news. News that is good and full of joy. So today what I want to do is I just want to focus on this, this uh, last phrase, tidings of comfort and And joy. And it comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And so, what I want to do is, I want to read just the the passage of Luke uh, 2, verses 8 to 14. And then, I want to talk about the reasons why you and I should be able to and how we can find joy this Christmas. So, in Luke 2 8, it says this Now, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And he will be a sign, or this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Good news of great joy. Then this is the birth of Christ. This month I, I read a sermon um, from a man named a uh, pastor uh, Raymond Ortland Jr. This is from back in 1998. And it, it just stirred me, and it helped me kind of get back at what I really, what I really need to do when I'm looking at at Christmas. Because often, what you do is uh, around every Christmas time, sometime around the, the end of November, what you hear is is if you go to pastors' offices, you hear this thump, 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 thump. And what it is is they're bashing their heads against their desk, saying, "What new do I have to say about this? What am I going to do to get people to to really um, embrace?" christmas time for for what it really is and i was just encouraged because it reminded me your greatest joy is always going to be drawing near to god knowing god seeing god and who he is that's how you're going to find real joy so i want to pass on some of the things that the pastor ortland wrote down and today what i want to do is i want to give you four reasons that we can have joy and we can celebrate Christ's birth at Christmas. So I'm just going to give you four four of these reasons from this passage today. And the very first one is simply this. The reason for joy. Number one, God is there and He is revealed in His glory. So I want you to do this. I want you to imagine that, that you're shepherds. Imagine you're, you're, you know, you're watching over your flocks by night. Whatever that looks like, you're guarding your sheep. And so when the shepherds were guarding their sheep as they had for for hundreds of years Maybe thousands of years. This has just been passed on from from, you know from parent to child and and they are shepherds They continue to shepherd. That's just what they did Um, You would pass on your 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 family Trade and they've done the same thing in, in the same area for generation after generation after generation and now this becomes very automatic becomes very routine. You know who's going to watch at what hour and, and who's going to watch at the next hour, who's going to keep a watch over the flock. And then they, they, do, they keep the watch over there. They know where to go. They know where to, to transfer the sheep in certain times of, of year. And then God breaks up the routine. And there is this entrance of an angel. And this angel is enough to scare the bejeebers out of them. And I'm not sure that we understand what was going on, but, but they're terrified. Why? Well, it says because the glory of the Lord shone around them. I don't know if we understand what that means, the, the, the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, this idea. But yet here what we find out is that God made His glory both visible, but also very deeply felt. In some ways, God's glory is, is His splendor. But but it's also a bit more than that. Um, it's the glory of God that allows you to feel the weight of who He is. Uh, John MacArthur noted that the glory of God is the expression of His person. It's any manifestation of His character or His attributes. Glory is to God what brightness and heat are to the sun. Glory is to God what wet is to water. It's what emanates from Him. Glory is the product of God's presence. So wherever God is present, there His glory will be. It's the revelation of Himself. And any time He shows Himself, what it does is it manifests His glory. This is why John wrote in, in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, and we have seen His glory... Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The disciples, they looked at Jesus and they understood. Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God in human flesh. There, There is no mistaking that about him they knew he was different and and at the end after he died after he was buried he rose again they said we have seen the glory of god we have touched we have handled we have been close by and and they're amazed by this see our eyes we can only see the things that that god has designed them to see some of you can see a lot less now than what you used to be able to see That's how I feel up here, too. I'm dreading the day when I'm going to stand up here and I got to wear my glasses to be able to see my notes. But our eyes can only see what God designed them to see. But see, that night what happens is that God pulls aside the curtains of the heavens so that the shepherd could see. They could see reality. They could see his glory, which has always been there. But it's been veiled by, by the darkness of night. It's usually concealed from our view. But when God opens the sky above Bethlehem, you see a shaft of His glory pierces through our darkness. And, and what this tells us is this. Whatever may seem like it's going on in our life and in our world, we're not left on our own. We are not left on our own. God is there. Uh, there was a prayer Francis Schaefer was once overheard praying God I thank you that you exist You ever pray and thank God that he exists About what that really means to, to you and, and to me See here, here's the problem in, in this story as we read through this And we, we all understand this The shepherds they're, they're terrified God's glory does not move them to joy it moves them to terror, great fear. Why? Well, you might think it's well because the shepherds are so small and the angel is so big, right? Um, or it could be because it was so bright. The angel was bright, and the glory of God—you know—the the brightness of this—it was unusual. This is a supernatural event, and so that's what made them afraid. But I think it goes deeper than that. God's glory isn't just a radiance of light. It's a radiance of holiness. And what makes facing God's glory terrifying is our guilty consciences. His glory, His holiness, it is felt and we know, we know who we are. We know what we've done. We know what we think. We know what kind of person we are. We think we could be reliable, but we know and we've got our our guilty conscience. See, we can handle Santa Claus. Um, People line up. Yesterday I was at the mall. People line up at the mall to get a picture with Santa Claus. But let me just say, if God made an appearance at the mall, there would not be a line of people wanting to take the picture. They would be running, scattering like like cockroaches, see to guilty sinners, God is terrifying. And even though He is beautiful, He is glorious. He's a wonder to behold, but He's also He is just. He is holy. He doesn't change. He doesn't bend. He's who He is. And see, we we're we're completely guilty. And I think this is what is being felt by the shepherds this night. And see, here, here's the thing. God has been revealing himself over and over and over again to sinful people throughout the ages. He, he reveals himself to sinful people because there are no other kind of people. That's the only kind that there are. Sinful people. And, and, and he did it through the miraculous. He did it through like um, the plagues of Egypt. You know, the the ten plagues, it's just like, whoa, look at what's going on. God is delivering His people through the use of these plagues. Um, He leads Israel by a a pillar of fire by night and a a pillar of cloud by day. And He's leading them through the wilderness where He wants them to go. Um, He he reveals Himself to a, a pagan king in Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And He does it numerous times, both in dreams... And through a fiery furnace that he sees, he, he throws people who won't worship him into a fiery furnace. And he sees everybody who throws them in, they all die from the heat. But the three men are standing up and they're not being burned in the furnace. And he can see, and then there's one like the fourth. It says, one like the Son of God standing among them. And God reveals Himself to, to, to this man. God has been reaching out to all of us through, through the ages. And see, whatever you and I are going through, I, I want you to know something. That, that First of all, that God is there for you. And He's pursuing you. As fast as you might run. You, you, maybe you're even thinking and you're kidding yourself. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm pursuing God. But most often we're, we're running our own direction. And He's pursuing you. And even though you don't think that He notices you, He's there. He wants you to come to Him. He's drawing you to Himself. And see, the, the reason why I'm talking about this today, it's, it's for you to know that He's here. God is there. He's revealed His glory. And He's continually pursuing us even though we avoid Him. See, it's Him who is the one who takes the initiative to break through the terror. Because those shepherds could, they just could have remained in terror and he could have left them there shuddering and forever for the rest of their lives. They could have remembered that and it could have changed their lives and they could have just been fearful all of their life. You guys know of people who have experienced the PTSD and that's, that has marked them and they're never the same again. And I don't mean in a good way. And God could have done that. But he doesn't. Because you know what God does, what else God does is he does is he, He radiates His goodness. His goodness, when you think about God's goodness, it radiates from Himself. Did you know that God's goodness, it's a spreading kind of goodness. It doesn't stay just confined to Him. It has to spread everywhere else that He goes. Wherever He chooses, His goodness spreads. And the angel reassures the shepherds, not just with good news, Not just with good news of joy, but of good news of great joy, intense joy, rich joy, full joy, overflowing joy. This is the kind of news that that the angel gives to them. Now, how do I know this? Because once the angel finished speaking, our text tells us that a multitude of other angels joined them. And, and when, you, when you look at this, the word multitude, the Greek word here, is where we get our word plethora. It means an excess. An overabundance. It's, it's a magnitude. Right? That's how many angels we have. An overabundance, a magnitude. It's probably translated better like the New English translation translates of a, vastly, a vast heavenly army. That's who shows up and they're pouring out of heaven into the sky and they're praising God now I want you to imagine what this could have sounded like you're a shepherd you're on a field starry night angel comes multitude of angels come and now they are praising what we know from Isaiah 6 is that the voices of the seraphim shook the threshold of the temple doors when they said holy God Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just, just the seraphim that are there. What would an angel army of praise sound like on this field on a starry night? And you can imagine that these these men were not shaking just from terror, they're shaking from the vibration of the praise of the multitude of the army of angels. Now, here's my point. If God were a jerk God, if He was mean... And depressed and and cranky and, and angry. How can you explain the joy and the jubilation of the angels? They're filled to the core. They can't help it. i got to show up. I've got to be here to just shout my praise when Jesus is born. I'm going to be there. It's the best, most wonderful thing ever. And all the angels, the multiplicity of them, they show up. And it's not enough to just have one angel do this on the scene. The rest have to break through. They've got to exclaim how absolutely astounding this event is in the life of the universe. There's nothing better. And they're all there and they're with joy and they're praising and it's wonderful. And what's interesting is we never in this text see God the Father. We never see Him. We're only shown His presence through the effect that He has on His angels. How much they love Him. How much praise they offer Him. But it's enough to see that in His presence, it says, in His presence there is fullness of joy. And this is what the angels have experienced. And now God comes to us, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, to earth. In His presence is fullness of joy. And it's come to us. And they praise. And the only event that I can recall that's equivalent to this is what John saw in his heavenly vision in in the book of Revelation. Listen to what John the Apostle saw. He said, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the the elders. And and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So that's Greek for an awful lot saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as that are in the sea and all that are in them.
1: Birds. Cattle. Dogs. Cats. Cats fish, sharks,
0: worms, groundhogs. Blessing and glory and honor and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. We see an innumerable number of angels worshiping Jesus at His birth, And we see an innumerable number of angels and all creation praising and worshiping Him after His resurrection when He's about to make everything right on the earth one day in the future. You ever go to Sam's Club on Friday? You're like, what does this have to do with glory? Absolutely nothing to do with glory. Glory. But when you go to Sam's Club on, on Friday, one of the things they have is they have these people there. And they're like, would you like a free sample? Would you like a free, here, beef jerky, beef jerky sample? Would you like an M&M? You get one, get one M&M for you. You know, <laughs> would you like a little juicy, th- here you go, there's a little juicy thing. Okay. And you get this tiny little thing and they give, they even have these little cups, you know, and you're like, mmm. And, and, and so what they're doing is they're giving you a taster. And then they say, this is where you can find it. This is how much it costs. And And they tell you where you can go after you get your little sample. This is what happened to the shepherds. They got a sample of the glory of God. Thousands of angels. It's a sample. That's just a sample of the glory of God. A taste of God's good and spreading nature that is spilled out from heaven onto the world. And and it's going to all people. It doesn't just go to the ethnically pure or to the rich or the people of, of a great position or the people who are distinct or the people who have a certain rank. And it's not for the good ones because there aren't any good ones. It's for all people. And the angel said unto you is born this day, meaning the savior is born for us, not for angels, not for the angels, not for the worthy. He's born for us. This is how good God is. His goodness radiates. It spreads. It's a spreading goodness. And we should take joy. And God's spreading goodness. But it's not just good the goodness of God, but the third, a third reason, reason number three for joy is that God is very, very relevant. To be relevant means that you understand the current need. God has given us a Savior. A Savior is what we most need. See, if I'm not yearning for a Savior, I'm the irrelevant One. If I don't yearn for somebody to save me, I'm the one that's out of touch. The greatest thing that God could do is provide a Savior. See, our basic problem, it's not finances. It's, it's not intellect. It's not political. It's not psychological. Our basic problem is moral. That's why in Matthew one twenty-one, Gabriel says, You shall call His name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. If God's joy spreads wherever he goes, we spread trouble wherever we go. Just look at history. You talk to almost anybody. You ask them, well, what is it, what is it that you want? If you could have your greatest thing, what, what do you really want? And almost everybody will tell you, we just want, I just want to be happy. Um, there, there are people, they will tell you, they say, you know, listen, um, I just want to live life. I just want to be left alone. I want to be happy. Would you guys agree? Anybody? Would you guys? Some people, you think do you think that way? A few of you. If almost everybody feels this way, then why is the world in such a mess? If we just want to be happy. See, see the issue is we are the problem. There was a newspaper in the 1800s and it posed a question asking for like people to write an article in response about this. And and they said, I want you to write a response to what is wrong with the world. And then just send us in the the answer of the article. What is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, he wrote a brief letter in response and he said, dear sirs, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Do you know that your good intentions aren't enough to control your evil impulses? Have you figured that out yet? Your good intentions are not strong enough to control your evil impulses. We need a Savior to save us from ourselves. We, we need a Savior And see, this is exactly what God has given us. The thing that we most deeply need. A Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't just need a miracle. We need salvation. And see, He's made it readily available to all who will receive Him. Everyone who will believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will be saved. Everyone who says, okay, I'll surrender. See, to to actually come to a Savior, like if you're out there, you ever see the people that are like swimming and they tell people, like people who are drowning, and if you're going to come up and try to save them, watch out because they may take you down in the the midst of that. And what some, some wise lifeguards know is that you wait for them to wear themselves out until you can grab them so that they're not struggling, so they surrender to you. See, are we going to surrender to our need for the Savior? He's there. He's seeking us out. He wants to move us beyond the terror into a glorious and wonderful relationship with His goodness that radiates all around us. Well, let me just share the last reason that I have. Reason number four for joy is this, that God has tied our peace with His glory. Glory to God in the highest. This is what the angels broadcast into our world. Our world, full of addiction, deceit, manipulation, disgrace. This is what they broadcast. Glory to God in the highest. And what they're declaring is this, that there is something higher than the height of our sin. If your sin is here, the Apostle Paul wrote this, where sin has increased, God's grace has abounded even more. God is far more powerful than sin. And and He will not let sin reign over, over everything. God will not allow evil to succeed here in our world. He will get His glory. His glory will be far higher and above our sin. His glory is greater than our sin. And He steadily and He faithfully, He guides history, He guides our lives toward a God-glorifying conclusion. Where God will be glorified in our lives. See, God's glory must be the highest. The glory of everyone else, the glory of everything else is just tarnish. The glory of the Grammys, in comparison with the glory of God, The glory of the greatest riches. The glory of the most wonderful mansion, territory. Somebody bought an island. It's beautiful. (coughs) Everybody do that with me. That's just fun. Go ahead. I knew you wanted to. The glory of everything else is subpar and tarnished in comparison. But see, here's the problem. Our natural instinct is to get this wrong. Have you noticed that that during the the Christmas season... um, It's really popular to quote part of Luke 2.14 where it says, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Maybe you get a card, Merry Christmas. And you open it up, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And it's great, it's it's wonderful, but see here's the, the problem. They forget the first part of the statement, glory to God in the highest. Because there can be no peace or goodwill unless there's glory to God in the highest first. See, God will not be on our side unless we put God's glory first. We put God's glory first. We're now aligned with Him. We're on God's side now. And see, if it's up to us, we would just put our felt needs first. We just say, well, this is what I feel. This is what I think. And we wouldn't announce it the way that the angels did. See, they started with God, not with peace on earth. The reason why is because the most relevant message to the sin-wrecked world It was and it always will be glory to God in the highest. See, our problem is that we have an idolatrous heart. That it's bent and we love other things other than God as supreme. We put other loves above God. But the good news is this, no matter what we might do, God will always be God. He will always be glorious. His glory is the supreme reality. And it exists no matter what we see with our eyes. And every now and then, God tears it open and and He lets us see the shafts of His glory as they burst down upon us. But when His kingdom is fully established, there will be peace on earth and there will be goodwill towards men. God and sinners reconciled. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in coming on Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, the peace that the angels proclaim here, it's, it's not a political peace. It's not like what we would hope for peace with the U- Ukraine and, and Russia, peace in, in Gaza and, and Israel. It's not a peace that comes because you have a really great neighborhood patrol. It's not a peace that comes because your metal detectors in, in your uh, public buildings work really well or because you've got really good gr- gun control laws. The peace that God brings nurtures us. It changes us from the inside out. It's transformative. The peace that God gives is the answer To our greatest yearning. It's what we long for. It's what we hope for. It's what we wish for. And see, God has tied our joy and peace to His glory. It's tied together. Because He will be glorified. And we will find joy and peace only in Christ. As He's glorified in our lives. So when we listen to Christmas carols or we think about Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, I think it ought to trigger some things in mind of how God's glory is culminated in Jesus. And this is just what I want you to remember for Christmas. This is your assignment. And this is why we've got four reasons for joy this Christmas. Reason number one is God is there. He's revealed his glory to you. And you can count on that. Reason number two is that God radiates His goodness. His goodness is spreading to us. Reason number three for joy is that God is relevant. Oh, does He always, he always gives us what we need most when we need it. And fourthly, God has tied our peace with His glory. And if you want peace... You need to seek out His glory. And His glory is found in Jesus Christ. That's where we need to seek it out. I want you to watch this and hopefully this can culminate and bring this all together and let us have a great picture of who God is with Jesus Christ and His birth in Bethlehem this year. Let's go ahead and watch this together.
1: of worship falling on the baby in her arms. And the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem soft as the tender beating of his heart. And all was calm. All was bright. Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel, this baby, this fragile life, This child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies, whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms, who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament, whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts, who breathed life from dust broke the oppressor's rule, scattered the chains of his people like sand, and led them through the wilderness with the pillar of flame. Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? who surrounded Job with the roaring wind, stood defiant in the raging furnace, wrote judgment against tyrants, and blazed on the lips of the prophets, scorching history's pages with the fury of his might. Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king, setting his throne on straw and manger, Drawing forth the tears of shepherds. Receiving the gifts of wandering travelers. His fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus. The one who thunders through the heavens, yet whispers to our hearts. Who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands. Holds our questions till they lose their need. Until all we see is him.
0: Heavenly Father, we worship You. We thank You for drawing our mind back to Your glory, to who Jesus really is. That You have provided for us, though we have, we have run away. You have shown us glimpses of Your goodness. And we celebrate and we worship this today as we look forward to just our celebrations of Christmas. We celebrate You today today. We thank you for your goodness that that spreads to us, that radiates to us, that you did not hide your goodness from us. That we have seen your glory, we have read about it, we have heard about it, we've looked at the things that you have done. But mostly, Lord, we thank you so much for your gift of Jesus Christ to us. And so we worship you and we surrender to you. You are so good to us. We we are sinful. We are undeserving. We deserve to be left terrified. But we thank You, Lord, that You're the one that transforms us. Changes our heart. That we would love those even who might be our enemies. That we would begin to learn to love the way that Jesus loved us. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for these individuals here today, for these families, That they would take time. That they would bask in your glory. That you would reveal yourself to them. This Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for glorifying your name. And letting us experience it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope to see you tonight at 4 o'clock if you can come. If not, enjoy that time with your families. You're dismissed. Have a great day.